Let's begin. I spoke last night about different ways of seeing how normally for many of us, we often see uh, through filters. There can be a, an underlying confusion or delusion even about what's real, what's true, because we're so conditioned through our habits uh, to, to think and respond in certain ways. And that the Buddha's teachings and practices are all about as best we can reducing or even removing those filters so that we can actually see clearly. And so the Buddha gave us this great map for practice that we've been talking about, the Satipatthana Sutta, um, the four foundations or establishments of mindfulness that we've been going through. But we don't tend to go through them completely sequentially. We start with the first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body. And there's a lot of different practices in that section, most of which we teach, but some which are whole practices in and of themselves. And we don't tend to emphasize on a retreat like that. We just give the important basic instructions about mindfulness of the body. And then we usually then offer mindfulness of moods, emotions, and thoughts, because that's so much what happens to us when we sit down to meditate that our mind gets lost as Andrea was talking about yesterday in thoughts of past and future reactions etc and so these are such common experiences and so helpful to begin to bring clarity to understanding to and compassion to so wisdom and compassion very helpful but that's the third foundation of mindfulness the second foundation, the Buddha considered important enough to be a foundation, but it's a subtle, um, actually sometimes it can be quite strong, but until we know to pay attention to it, we might miss it. And that's this, the second foundation is called Vedana or feeling tone. Some people just say feeling, but that can confuse us because then we might think it means emotions because we often talk about feelings and emotions. But emotions are in the third foundation. This Vedana or feeling tone is the quality the, that arises with every sense experience we have in this conditioned realm of either being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And the Pali is dukkha, sukha, which means happiness or sweetness or pleasantness, and adukkha masukkha neither pleasant nor unpleasant, neutral, a simple way of saying it. And this teaching and practice of Vedana, as I said, the Buddha considered it so important that it constitute a whole foundation of mindfulness, something he invites us to really pay attention to. And there are many important teachings and texts in his, his um, canon of teachings that emphasize this mindfulness of Vedana, because of the key role it plays in our movement into craving or aversion. And again, many of you have heard these teachings, and in some ways it's, it's sort of obvious, but highlighting it in our experience can really open a doorway to clearer seeing and lessen reactivity and clinging. So what happens when we have a pleasant arising at the sense door, and that can include a mind, the mind, a thought, emotion, a mood, a meditation experience. 
It arises with the experience and Vedna is a mental phenomena. It's known through the mind, even though we can experience certainly Vedana, the Vedana of bodily sensation. So the sensation is bodily, but the knowing of it is mental. So this Vedana arises with the experience in conjunction with it. And when something's pleasant, what do we do? We tend to cling. We like it. So we pull it towards us. We want more. And given what I was talking about last night, we want it to stay. We want to make it I, me, and mine, this nice, pleasant thing, whether it's a mood or an emotion, a, a meditation experience, an insight, or a your cup of coffee this morning that was so pleasant and you wanted to hold on to it, make it go, last longer. And of course, if you keep drinking, it's going to end. That pleasantness is going to end. But that's our habitual, deeply conditioned pattern. Something's pleasant. We want to hold on, pull it towards us, make it permanent and make it mine. And we don't think of all those thoughts, but that's the basic response. When something's unpleasant, what do we do? We want to push it away. We want to reduce it. We want to get rid of it. We want to um, not experience it. And this leads to all of the um, manifestations of aversion, of irritation, of reactivity, of uh, hatred, of ill will, of uh, impatience. We're pushing away. But you can see by this gesture with the gesture I make for the clinging and the craving is, is this and the pushing away this, we're still getting entangled with the experience. Even as we think we're pushing it away, something is happening that is sticky. And so it has a ripple effect on our experience. We get caught up in it. We think we're not wanting anything to do with it, but we're actually creating a self around not liking that experience, wanting to push away that experience. And so we still create a sense of self and get entangled up in the, in the not liking as well as the liking. And then with the neutral, the neither pleasant nor unpleasant, our habitual response is not to notice it to either not notice it, skate over it, or be impatient for the next impactful thing to arise. So there's a kind of restlessness almost, like nothing's happening, boredom, dis dissatisfaction, and we're looking for something more pleasant usually to come in. And so there's a whole level of ignoring of actually what can be a lot, a big part of our experience, things that are actually neutral that we just don't pay attention to. And I talked last night about inattentional blindness. A lot of that, uh, this area of neutral can be in that. When things, we're habituated to our surroundings, we don't notice them so much. And again, I spoke about the clarity and the clear seeing that comes through mindfulness where we can actually wake up to things that we weren't paying attention to and it can actually be impactful or even freeing. One of the central teachings that this um, practice of being mindful of Vedna is, is the Buddha talked about is in the cycle of dependent origination. And you probably can't see, but the tanka that I have behind me is a 
depiction of this cycle. Uh, in the Tibetan tradition, they depict it as a wheel. There are these 12 links that keep us rolling through what's called samsara, this conditioned realm of birth, old age, sickness, and death, starting from ignorance, going through a set of conditions, talking about our human experience, till it gets to the heart of that teaching. And in these three simple steps or links, contact, feeling, tone, craving. So there's a contact at one of the six sense doors, feeling tone of response of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. As I said, from that contact, from that arising of the feeling tone, the next link in the chain that we're, if we're not mindful, we are habitually pulled into is craving. It goes on from craving to clinging, to becoming, to birth, where from getting connected and making this relationship with an experience of liking or not liking, or even spacing out, but usually the liking or not liking is, is more predominant. As I said, we create a self around it. And as soon as we create a self, that self is also a conditioned thing that will, it's born, it will persist for a while, but then it will die. It will pass away. You know, the self is a good meditator or the full self. You've just maybe had breakfast and you're full, but by lunchtime, you'll be hungry again. You know, the cyclical nature of the arising and passing away of the sense of self, beginning with this very bare fact of something arising at one of the sense doors and how we relate to it. So the possibility here with the awareness of Vedna is to actually break that cycle. It's not easy to do. And it doesn't mean we break it forever and completely, but any moment we come into mindfulness, we talked about appreciating those moments when the clarity is there, we're like, oh, right, this is what's happening. We can tune into the Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasantness, or neutrality of the moment. And with that mindfulness, the tendency or the habit to move immediately into the craving, clinging, becoming doesn't have to happen. Or it may happen, and this is more likely our experience, but it's weakened. We're not lost in it. We can actually at, uh, sustain the mindfulness so that at any point in those subsequent steps of that cycle, we can wake up. But if we're right there at, at the, the contact feeling, it's amazing the power of that. And again, just using simple examples from retreat experience. You know, you're sitting and um, you find there's irritation or restlessness or impatience. And then you realize that actually, oh, your knee is really quite painful. And I, I've had this experience where, you know, I've actually become um, averse to it and sort of a bit confused around it. But then the clarity comes in, oh, this is unpleasant. Even though it's been going for a while, there has been some reactivity, but as soon as I recognize this is unpleasant, that's why I'm reacting to it. Something about recognizing the simple truth of that experience helps me relax a bit. There's some relief in knowing that and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is unpleasant. How can I meet this 
with more mindfulness, more equanimity, or more kindness. It's a doorway into connecting with our experience and not the story and the self we've created out of it. So it has great potential. We can track more closely this, this habit pattern we have, and you know, it's, it's deeply ingrained in us. It's not personal or unique to any of us, any of you, any me. This is a very natural, you could even say, you know, if something's painful, we want to pull away from it. You know, if you, you don't want to put your hand in the fire, it's not, oh, this is unpleasant. Let me keep my hand in the flame. No, you know, you want to have wise response to things, but you don't then build the self around it. It, it, it can interrupt that whole process. So it has great potential for freedom. But heightening the clear seeing that I spoke about last night. Now, it, it's a somewhat subtle um, mental factor. And it's why we wait, you know, these number of days into the retreat to talk about it. Um, if you're really curious and paying attention, you know, you can kind of see it quite clearly. But when you, if it's this, this practice is new for you, don't, um, don't overcomplicate it. It really is whenever, especially if you have some strong experience happen, just the memory or the reminder that, oh, what's the Vedna of this? And wherever you are, even if this experience has been going on for some time, you can bring your awareness in and hone on, hone into that quality of unpleasantness or pleasantness. And again, not in the object itself, it's a mental response, but it's co-committant with the experience. So it comes very closely. And Vedna is deeply conditioned. It has the characteristics that I spoke about last night. It's impermanent, it will change. Something that was pleasant in one moment can become neutral or unpleasant in another moment. It's also conditioned something that I find pleasant, you might find deeply unpleasant. So again, not to reify or make solid what your experience of the Vedan is, know that it, it, has, it is conditioned with these three characteristics. So it's impermanent. It can be a source of suffering. If we don't understand it, see it clearly. It's unreliable, it's always changing. And it doesn't define who you are we can create a sense of self from that process that I described in dependent origination, Paticca Samupada. But if we're with just the bare experience of the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, it doesn't have to. And that's where the freedom can come in with this knowing of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So there's a lot more to say about uh, Vedna. I give whole talk on it um, because you know you can read lots of um, background and the different suttas that the the buddha talked about using it uh, as part of your practice but hopefully you've got a sense of what the what this quality or responsive mind is of vedana and i'll talk more at the end about how to use it in a in an ongoing way in in your practice but for now um I'll invite you into settling if you're not already settled into your meditation posture. 
And perhaps at some point I'll in, invite you to um, notice the Vedna if it's arising. Don't make this too complicated. If it doesn't seem accessible or available, just let it go. Like all of these different techniques and tools we offer. So I was saying in one of my groups yesterday, there's three things about a technique or a tool. You've you've got to know what know know it. You've got to you know have a sense of how to use it, and then you've got to use it. So, but you don't need to if it's not the tool for you in the moment. So we'll explore it a little bit. So again, you're probably familiar by now in this retreat or your own practice with what supports you to settle into the body, your meditation seat, your posture. And just connecting in with these attitudes we spoke about that are so helpful. It's like directly expressing metta towards yourself with how you begin your meditation session, that you settle in, you make sure you've got you're as warm or cool as you want to be as best you can. That your back is relatively straight, upright. There's a sense of dignity in the posture. But there's also relaxation. And this is actually a gesture of kindness to the body. The body really responds to the spine being straight, chest being open, and then this relaxation the face, throat, the chest, the belly, arms and legs. They're all helpful supports for the mind beginning to rest in this present moment and know what's happening. Those few deeper breaths, slow and deeper breaths can kind of arouse that sense of energizing through the in-breath and relaxing on the out-breath. Softening of the belly through the expansion and contraction. Again, finding your way in to this settled posture of meditation. And this sense of the body sitting in a relaxed yet alert way is a, a beautiful foundation for our practice. We can always come back to this if we feel lost or confused, if objects are too moving too fast or are too subtle for us to stay with. Just coming back to this sense of the body sitting, grounded, the earth element, Dawn spoke about. Relaxed and open. And taking some time to establish the mindfulness in whatever supports 
your connection to the present moment. So the sense of the body, the body breathing, an expansive connection to the breath, breath where you feel the breath, almost as though the breath is felt throughout the whole body, from head to toe, breath energy radiating, tingling, expanding, contracting. Perhaps breath in the whole torso, and very expansive, soft attention. Or breath at a more discreet location, the nostrils in the upper lip, chest or abdomen, or sounds. Again, finding your way into settling the mind and body. One of the skills, techniques, it's really helpful to cultivate or have a sense of in our practice is this spectrum. I think Andrea was talking about this yesterday in response to a question between what we call samatha practices, the calming practices, where we take a simple object like the breath or just the sense of the body or perhaps sounds, and we let the attention rest there. This, this, uh, sense of continuity and steadiness with the attention on a particular object. It doesn't have to be very narrow or tight, it can be quite spacious, but there's a simplicity and a directness in the samatha practices that lead to calming, tranquility practices, just like I've been describing. 
And then at the other end, and we've been talking more about this, but what we call open attention, or choiceless attention, where we open up and we include any aspect of our experience. We'll talk more about this in a day or so. And that's where we include all of the body sensations, the moods and emotions and thoughts, just as we've been talking about. And knowing when to open up or what would support your practice is one of the skills that's really valuable. So steadying with this simple attention on the breath, the body or sounds, but also being willing to let go of that and include with a direct mindfulness what's happening on this level of sensations in the body that aren't connected to the breath perhaps, moods or emotions and thoughts. So just as an experiment for this morning, just opening your awareness a little and seeing if there is some stronger experience happening than perhaps just the breath. So perhaps there's a, a chronic ache or pain that you tend to have when you sit in your lower back or an ankle that's being pressed against the floor. It doesn't have to be particularly painful, but just a stronger sensation. Perhaps it's just your buttocks pressing against the seat. As you connect with that sensation, whatever it is, just have a sense. Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And you know that just simply and directly. And just like with the elements, it's not a test. There's not a right answer. It's the clarifying the mindfulness or, or bringing more interest to the mindfulness that's valuable here. What is this? And if no clear answer comes, that's fine. But we've heightened our mindfulness through asking this question. So you might then notice another sensation. Perhaps something more neutral like, well, it could be neutral, but we shouldn't presuppose. But the touch of your shirt, sweater, whatever, shawl on your neck. And you tune into that sensation. And what's your relationship to that? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? What you might find is it might change. Might have been neutral when you first brought your attention there, but perhaps because you feel the warmth and the warmth is pleasant, it becomes pleasant. Or perhaps you notice you're actually overly warm, feeling too hot and it's unpleasant. You're just paying attention. Don't have to stay with this long, but just enough to recognize the sensation, the contact, the touch, and then pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And now perhaps going back to the breath, if that's a place you've been paying attention. 
connecting with the sensations of the breath. And just questioning a little, is the breath itself pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And how might the Vedana of the breath be conditioning how you're relating to the breath? For now, you can draw. Um, I'll discontinue the inviting you into certain areas of the body. But as you continue your meditation, every now and then, especially if something stronger catches your attention, to just have this awareness is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? As you stay with that experience, if it persists for a while, does the Vedana change? Not making this too complicated. You don't need to do it with every experience or all the time. But if something catches your attention, see what the Vedana is. Or if you notice you're spacing out around an experience, you you connect with it, but then the mind drifts away. Well, what was happening there? Well, it was going to more neutral and there was no more interest. So the mind went away into thought. Each thought also can have a Vedana that we can recognize. Again, you don't want to get lost in this, make it too complicated. But the, one of the reasons we get pulled away by thoughts, like Andrew was talking about yesterday, is we find them pleasant. We create a sense of self around them. So again, just this light touch of recognizing if it's helpful, when something is your present moment experience, you're directly connecting with it. What's its nature? What's the valence, the flavor of it? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And if this is not helpful for you, Keeping your practice simple, trusting your own intuition.
when you hear the sound of the bell? Can you be with the direct experience of hearing and perhaps be mindful of whether the sound is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Could be pleasant because it means the end of the sitting and you've been a little uncomfortable or restless. Could be unpleasant because it's getting distorted through the online form. Or could just be neutral, just hearing. See what happens when you hear the bell. So again, please trust your own intuition and where your practice is, whether this way of being with experience is helpful. Sometimes it can just seem too complicated. Another thing to notice, or there's not a sense or easy uh, connection to this aspect of experience, then please just don't need to include it. But the Buddha said, it could be very helpful for us. So play with it and see. As I said during the guiding, um, I tend to use recognizing the Vedna if something's particularly impactful, some pull towards something pleasant, some arising of a thought, and I can feel the energy of that, some discomfort in the body, really helpful to recognize what the Vedna is. And especially as we're in our more in-between times, informal, or even in our daily lives, I call it mindfulness when it matters. That if something comes up that we see, oh, I'm responding in this in a habitual way, or creating a sense of self, or there's energy around this, see if you can tune into the Vedna of it. It can be really interesting. And again, it's not a test of finding what's the right exact Vedna of this, because it will change. It's like when we work with the elements, it isn't to, to, to find which one is it and separate it from everything else. It's to hone the quality of attention and to get curious about our experience so we can perhaps see it more clearly. And we'll notice perhaps the Vedna will change, get weaker or stronger, be clear or not so clear, that's okay. But the honing of attention is what's so valuable. And the other way of working with Vedna is just to take a, a period of time, a short period, 10 minutes, perhaps at the beginning of a sitting or the start of a walking meditation, where you just create the intention that you're going to notice the Vedna of everything that clearly arises in your experience. So a sight, a sound, a sensation in the body. Again, you, you could do it with the breath, something that's really regular, but that might be a bit too repetitive. But every now and then to tune into the breath, as I suggested in the sitting, can be helpful because if we're always finding the breath completely neutral, that can be why we often space out. 
And the other thing we can see is as we tune into something and we think, oh, it's neutral, it quickly shifts. That there's very little, especially in sensations of the body, that remain completely neutral. My, and it just wavers a little. It's sort of like the neutral person in our metta. As soon as we bring them, choose someone and bring them up, we're like, oh, I, I think that person's kind of cool. I like that. You know, so the liking happens or, oh, no, you know, I actually feel a little not connected to this person. And so there's a little disliking. It's the same with the, the Vedanic. And again, it's not to fix it or make it get it right, but to be curious about it. And then how are we responding to it? What's happening as we notice it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? So whether you do it just when the experience is strong or you take a certain length of time, you know, you don't have to time it, but just a, some matter of minutes uh, in the beginning or the middle of your sitting can be really um, interesting to, to work with the Vedana. Um, 